when our early childhood educators are making less than what they do at Starbucks, that's a problem. That comes from inherently not valuing this care work because it's the work that traditionally women have done. It's traditionally the work women of color have done. I am very appreciative to welcome my guest, Saran Chow, today. Saran is the CEO and co-founder at Mirsa. She's on a mission to close the gender pay gap through human-centered technology and AI that creates equitable futures. She was an early Uber employee, is an experienced leader, and is driven by systems change. Welcome to the show, Suren. Thanks so much for having me, Karen. Thank you so much for being part of my show today. And so for all of our listeners who are listening to us all around the world, could you share with them where are you calling in from and are there a particular food or site that, that you could recommend? Yeah, so I'm currently calling from New York City. Um, and then if there is a food I can recommend, There's a lovely restaurant called Amigo by Nye. Um, it's in the East Village, really good tacos. And I would highly recommend a visit and getting some, uh, getting some tacos. That sounds very tasty. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Saran, you are the co-founder of Mirsa. Um, could you share why and how it got started? Yeah. Well, the exact how of how my co-founder Mel and I started Mirza, um, we were getting coffee and on a rant, I guess, about the gender wage gap, as one does, and um, wound up really just unpacking how so much of the wage gap really comes, stems from the fact that we think about our personal and our professional lives separately and we're socialized and grown up and trained to think about it that way. But when they crash with parenthood, that's what sparks the bulk of the gender wage gap. And as we unpack more and more of that, we started just really understanding how much of a role childcare really has to play in it. So the ways that lack of paid leave in the U.S., And then the lack of affordable childcare at a, such a structural and systemic level is what creates these kinds of trade-offs that we force parents, usually moms, to make. Um, but at the same time, it's also so deeply personal. I think for both my co-founder and me, this space of choosing care or work is something we've seen our own moms do. It's something that we hear our friends talking about the, what happens when I start a family and what happens in my career, what happens to my own identity and how that changes over time. So because we structurally don't make it easy for, um, for parents and really don't make it easy for women, we thought there's something we can really do by, uh, building a company around this this problem set i had my kids in the u.s i'm originally from germany and you're so right i had no idea that to be honest i would you know pick the short straw by having children in the u.s when you know at the same time i'd be hearing from my friends in germany from starting from parental leave to all of these other 
aspects of having a family that just didn't exist in the US. Yeah. Yeah, it's very much made into an individual problem here in the US whereas in much in in Germany in other parts of Europe um I guess the the UK is somewhat unique and also making it very much an individual problem but definitely in the states this is a massive issue. Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm curious how come that you picked the name Mirza? Hmm. So we named the company after Maryam Mirzahani. She is Persian. She's the first woman to win the Fields Prize for mathematics. So not um we we think that we're at such a lack of incredible women role models and Maryam Mirzahani is one of them. So we named the company Uh, after her. That's wonderful. And now what has surprised you the most since you started Mesa? I think one of the things that really surprised us was that we spend a lot of time in policy circles. So with people who are really thinking at a structural level of what it is that we need from the government and when we look at that example of of germany for example paid leave and then affordable childcare those are human goods they're public goods that are provided by by the government and supported by the government so bringing um that same kind of lens to the us we definitely have spent a lot of time talking to folks who work on government policy and want to really get those same kinds of things built here but at the same time um i think we've always been pleasantly surprised i'll say with the warm reception we get for effectively building a private market solution to some of these pain points so that pain point of affordable childcare and um, here in the states and you wouldn't necessarily think that to come from folks who are trying to get universal childcare passed and paid leave for all but i think there is definitely a need and a recognition right now we need to be able to have solutions today and build towards what might be larger sweeping changes on a more government level but that takes time it may or may not happen so what we are doing today is actually um meaningful and we're excited to have the support from some folks who are very much thinkers and can see the benefit of um something that is a a short-term private market solution. Yeah, it you know, it's so interesting as you're saying that it takes a lot of time and so then thinking about the name of your company where in mathematics people will spend their you know part of their career or in some cases the entire career trying to solve one equation or one problem so i feel that you know i let's hope that it will not take your entire career to solve no. <laughs> oh god i hope not <laughs> so now you have said that women's financial empowerment is your north star and could you share a little bit more with our listeners and um, why you have said that from a really young age i so i was raised by 
a mom who is a biochemist back in China. Um, when my family moved around a lot, it was for my father's job. So she wound up taking a back seat for the for my dad's job for all of these moves. And once we immigrated to the U.S., um, that that career that she had back with biochem it doesn't translate anymore. Those same degrees don't work here, and. I saw what happened for my mom and for our family when my when my dad left and when my family split, and I I saw how hard my mom worked and how she went to school at night and worked during the day to be able to support us, and so much of the future of our future generations and our social progress relies on.、Um, On women who want to work, being able to do so, and we have so much that just falls on moms. So, I think just growing up this way, yeah, women's financial empowerment is my north star. I want to make sure we're creating,、um, we're creating the opportunity for women like my mom not to have to make those kinds of sacrifices. Yeah, and so you know, I mean, thank you for sharing this. And so, what do you feel does it take to retain more caregivers in the workforce? So, I'm、um, I'm gonna underscore two things that we talked about briefly: paid le- parental leave,、um, and then I'll unpack both of these a bit more. So, paid parental leave and affordable childcare. So. At a more,、uh, at a much deeper level, what we need to retain more caregivers in the workforce is also a recognition that fundamentally, caregiving work is valuable, productive work. So we don't have, we have such a lack of affordable childcare in this country because we don't pay for that work. What what we should. Um, and I'm not saying that childcare is not expensive enough. It, it definitely is. But when our early childhood educators are making less than what they do at Starbucks, that's a problem. That comes from inherently not valuing this care work because it's the work that traditionally women have done. It's traditionally the work women of color have done. So, at a pretty fundamental level, that's a huge part of it. Um, and at, when we value that caregiving work, and that extends to even when a caregiving parent, when mom and dad, for instance, are are in the paid workforce, the work that we do at home around caregiving also isn't then compensated. It's not valued if it's not counted as part of GDP, and it's not actually counted in terms of. Economic output. We suddenly don't think of it as valuable, productive work, but it is. That that work of making sure our kids have food on the table and have a good learning environment and have help with their homework. That is all caregiving, and it's all making sure that we have、um, future members of our society, and that is truly productive at a most fundamental sense.、Um, So the time and the space we get to be able to do those forms of productive work really requires having that that work be paid well and paid correctly, having the paid parental leave and time away from our 
um, that our jobs to be able to start to raise our families, um, have that time with bonding and be able to ease back into that workforce without necessarily, you know, in, in the U.S. right now, the one in four moms go back to work within 10 days of giving birth. Um, that's part of the huge problem. Without that paid leave, we don't have time for the really important bonding that we do at home. And we're not set up for success to be able to actually then stay in the workforce. 10 days after giving birth, you still have stitches in. That is, that's not the the kind of environment that helps people actually stay at work. Um, And then affordable childcare, because someone has to be able to keep, um, keep providing for our kids and help support the earliest years when brain development happens, when parents are, are working. I couldn't agree more with you. Here I am in Canada, and I've recently, you know, heard for somebody going on, um, you know, maternity leave, and that person is coming back after a year, because that's what it, you know, the, the governmental regulations are here. And then on top <laughs> of it, there is also um, paternity leave that is, um, you mm-hmm. know, mandated or possible here. I was a stay-at-home mom myself for 11 years. It was only when I started doing research that I understood really the transferable skills that I had learned during that yes. time. And why? Because it's, as you said, it is just sort of this assumption, oh yeah, well, this is the mom who's doing the work. But nobody really talks about what it actually is that is being done. And I think one large aspect of it is because it is not counted within the GDP. Right. And in that same way of it not being counted in GDP, it's also, at least in in the US and in the UK, our time, our caregiving periods don't count towards our retirement and our pension and social security either. That is a big part of the uh, gender retirement gap and the gender wealth gap. That is simply at a fundamental level. We just don't seem to take that work as meaningful economic work. So it's not compensated that way. But when, you know, women outlive men and we also just truly need to be caring for our kids, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. I completely agree. Now, so what do you feel younger generations can do to help reduce the gender pay gap? Well, younger generations um, definitely can advocate for paid paternity leave. So, and to take that, um, there's a really awesome student-led advocacy group here in the U.S., called Project Matriarchs, and it's college students who are um, pushing for their companies and their future employers to provide caregiving benefits and to be caregiving workplaces, and pushing that kind of using the power of our labor and by choosing what folks to work for, for whom, what companies we would actually work for. That power of labor actually is a way to start to shift what are the norms and company policies. And then there for um, slightly older folks, I would say even in my generation, it's important for men to be taking 
paternity leave and to be demonstrating some of that, um, the role modeling we want to see. So both when I think about not just taking paternity leave, but also sharing school pickups. My first, uh, one of my general managers at Uber was someone who left at the same time every day to pick up his kid from school. And then he would sign on later in the evening, but that demonstration mattered so much to set the culture and for his team to know this is the norm. This is the expectation that you're not working these 14 hour days in the office and care for his kids is just something, you know, his partner does. That's that role modeling is so critical and millennials and especially Gen Z view care and our personal aspirations as important as our work or even more important than our paid work and bringing that into the workplace and actually showing how that can manifest is critical. Um, And a a very quick note on um, paternity leave, there's been research in um, Sweden that showed once they implemented a mandated additional month of paternity leave that actually impacted partner's earnings. So for every, uh, that additional month that dad took of paternity leave, it increased mom's earnings by 7%. And that's because when dad learns the skills of caregiving, then it doesn't all just continue to fall on mom's default. It goes back to why paternity leave is so important. It is for that building the skill set and helping kids know from a young age they don't only go to one parent. The mental load doesn't all just fall on one parent because our, our time at home is also really critical for us to be able to show up um, in the workplace. That's such an interesting insight. And yes, it's like, you know, you mentioned Project Matriarchs and um, I had the honor to have them on my show as well. It's just amazing. I feel, you know, young generations. And then as you were talking about Sweden, it's also, I feel seeing more um, male role models like the Latte Dads in in Sweden, right? Yes. Yeah, it's just, I think, also from an early age onwards, when young children see dads, men with children, it just, you know, it becomes a much more, yeah, that's anybody can do care work. Yeah. So now you recently attended the Power Plus Summit at the Institute for Women's Policy Research. Could you share with our listeners a few? of the insights um, you gained from attending there. Yeah. Um, Well, I I thought what was a really striking insight at the time was the fact that people at the conference, speakers at the conference were very frank to say, Roe will be overturned. We're living in a post-Roe world and we just haven't, paid attention to that fact and people don't want to admit that fact and lo and behold a few weeks later the supreme court opinion leaks and this is what we're facing and one of the really big takeaways coming from that is that we really need much better organization um, on 
on the political left are some of the area, some of the folks who are really pushing for reproductive health, for care. Um, we need much better organization and and political turnout in a way that in in the U.S the conservative movement has been able to turn out voters along gun rights and to strike down abortion, uh, abortion access. So I, I think that's a really big takeaway, but I think having more women run for office um, is a huge part of being able to start to make that change. And the importance of just changing the culture um, and then changing the culture through our actions and our language was a was another really big takeaway from that. So when we look at, um, I guess, back on the topic of reproductive health in Mexico, there was a much more of a grassroots way to be able to bring abortion access into a mainstream culture or have it be a more grassroots kind of culture led movement. And the U.S. hasn't really done that because we've, you know, had a Supreme Court decision that allowed abortion access. Um, in that same way, so much of the way that we can use language to make sure people know where priorities lie um, in shifting the language of who is a caregiver, you know, when we say working mom, but never working dad, all of those norms are really important to be able to actually help people actually see and reframe things in, in a different way. Um, one of the speakers, Roxane Gay, talked about how we don't talk about uh, global warming, we talk about climate change. And climate change is a very, uh, it's not very scary sounding because, you know, the weather changes. But mm -hmm. really, what we're facing are rising global temperatures. It actually is global warming. But we've let our power and that kind of urgency be taken away by not actually using that language that strikes at the urgency and how important this is. So, there's both a kinds of grassroots in terms of the level of engagement we can build through our language and actually speaking to what it is that we're seeing, but also the importance of then motivating people, women, to, to run for office um, and actually motivate people to vote for the issues that predominantly impact women and communities of color. In Europe, I feel there recently have been many more, you know, prime ministers or, you know, ministers of defense or other ministers that are female. And okay. I think it's, it's a, you know, a great um, development. I, and I completely agree. Ultimately, in order to change things, it has to go through politics very often. And we have to have a better representation there. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the representation and working at working on equity at a very grassroots level that's so important. The importance of, you know, when we go back to why we talked briefly about why paid parental leave is important and paternity leave is important, it's the treating our home as a an important organization and building real equity starting at home and at every single level. 
we we can take on an active role in actually ensuring equity. Um, and so that, I, I hope that's empowering. I, I think it is that there's something you can do starting with um, your own home and that kind of organization that is very much within the sphere of your own sphere of influence. I really hope so too. And um, so now when you look forward into the future, five or 10 years ahead, what do you feel? Are there other things that, you know, should happen, could happen to really support professionals who want to have a family? Mm. So we, well, in part, I, I hope this is coming, this will stay coming out of the pandemic, but we've, um, in the States, had a kind of work culture before the pandemic that is a very FaceTime always on type of culture. And that's not necessarily conducive to having a family and um, having a, a, that kind of work-life integration. Um, so I hope that there is some of that reset coming out of the pandemic that will remain um, and maybe go further to help people understand that our social progress, our pro economic progress doesn't have to come at the sacrifice of our families. Um, well, we'll see. I, I, I think that's one of the big things that really does have to change that kind of work culture. You know, it's so interesting. A couple of weeks ago, when one of the more senior level um, professionals at Apple basically left because of a lack of um, you know, perceived lack of flexibility, because I guess at the time Apple had requested people to come back three days a week. And then I've forgotten a couple of days ago, it is that they have now changed that returning back into the office policy. So yes, I, I absolutely hope that um, there will be more flexibility in the workplace than it current, you know, than it was before the pandemic. Yeah, I, I think that is very much something that I um, I say looking very much into the future of what we think about as work. So a lot of our work that um, can't necessarily be away from the workplace, the kinds of work we think of as frontline work and essential work during the pandemic, that we also need to build in um, economic security around and innovation around. So when we can actually start to use technology to make, to take, to take off some of the burden of, of those jobs and help people really get the, the training and upskilling for future work, um, we're still going to have very real fundamental day-to-day -day relationships and caregiving work. And that isn't something that we can necessarily automate away, nor do we really want to. That work is, that caregiving work is important. So that also comes then to making sure that that work is paid well, and then has the kinds of social benefits that we need to be able to um, remain in that profession. So, so much of when I think about the childcare benefit space, so much of the benefit space is really 
heavily concentrated for knowledge workers. Um, the folks who are already making enough money that childcare isn't as painful of a pain point um, and who have that flexibility for hybrid or flexible work in the future. But then for the folks who don't, well, ensuring that their jobs are, are well-paying jobs and that they actually have the, the ability to afford the care they need to work, um, that's, that's really critical. More and more of our economy is going to need to be built around those types of caregiving jobs. Um, we have 10,000 baby boomers turning 65 every single day. The need of a, a care labor force is huge. And then the whole pandemic, I feel it might have changed people's views as well as far as, you know, caregiving. What does that mean? And like, can there be more like older people? Are they wanting to stay maybe if they can? You know, in their own house longer and therefore maybe having people coming to their home on a you know more daily basis and I think there's so much interesting room for innovation um something like as we start to combine and I think some of these models have been tested a bit uh, when we can combine elder care and with child care and yeah. some shared spaces helping uh, there are ways that we can help well some of the work around elder care is around helping people stay engaged right. and that kind of social connection that's very much what kids can provide and then that kind of how the economics of childcare often doesn't work is that you need a one to four ratio for infants for example the one adult caring for four infants you very much that's you can't really have any more up outside of that ratio there. That's too much work and really difficult to do. Right. But then that kind of ratio when brought in, in a hybrid model with elder care and senior care can help both sides actually accomplish something and create more room for intergenerational learning. And that's fascinating. I, I really hope to see more of those types of innovations. That, I mean, it sounds really, really interesting. And, you know, one of the things I hope to see one day in order to make um, care work a more recognized type of work that on a mandatory basis, say in whether that is high school or whether that is university, that people have to take an internship, whether that's a week or so, just to get a better understanding how much work care work truly is and also if it is for everyone it therefore then um you know hopefully reduces that idea that it is only a female type of um you know work and um yeah so and i i really like your idea you know with the combination of younger and older and you know and everybody learning from that and like you know the experience that older generations might have and what they can tell younger generations and vice versa. We've been talking about a lot of different topics. Is there anything that we haven't covered today that you would like to share with our audience? We definitely have covered quite a range of topics, huh? <laughs> um, I, 
I think maybe one of the most important things that I would love to be able to just um, highlight more so is just the importance now more than ever of companies taking on an active stance for what, for, well, pushing parts of social progress. Um, and I, I don't necessarily mean social progress in terms of, uh, you know, traditionally liberal agenda or something, but in when it comes to reproductive health, well, we have been uh, almost forced to have certain private corporations say that they would be able to support their employees who need to travel out of state and cover those expenses. We, we now are relying on companies to be able to provide paid leave for their employees. And I, what I think is so important is some of those things that companies are building internally for their employees, they also have the um, ability to be able to really push at least state and local governments where they're located to be able to do that at scale. Um, so I think the importance for companies to take an active role in some of the the real benefits to companies and employees as a whole, um, reproductive health, affordable care, paid leave, that I think is more and more important now. So I definitely would love to see more of that, the business coalitions to push for the care infrastructure we need. Sounds like a, a perfect ending to our conversation. How can people find you? Um, uh, you can learn more about what we do at heymirza.com. Um, that's H-E-Y and then M-I-R-Z-A.com. Um, and then you can find me on um, LinkedIn or uh, Twitter. I'm just at HateSaran, S-I-R-A-N. Um, and then we're on all of the social channels at Mirza Says Hey. Mirza Says Hey. Great. I will be sure to put it into the show notes so that people can find you all across social media. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for the conversation. It was so interesting and you provided so many great insights. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me and the awesome questions. Glad to share all of my soapbox things around, you know, the importance of paid parental leave. What an insightful conversation with Saran. As a short summary, we spoke about why Saran co-founded her organization Mirsa, why financial empowerment is her North Star, what it takes to retain more caregivers in the workforce, and how critical it is to see caregiving work as valuable, productive work. We spoke about the gender retirement gap, how important it is in particular for male um, leaders to become role models by publicly parenting, what financial improvement one month of paternal leave makes on mom's earning based on some analysis from Sweden. Saran shared what she hopes to see in the future regarding caregiving 
and she had some suggestions as far as innovative ideas to combine caregiving for elderly people as well as children. I really appreciate your listening to today's show as well as previous shows you might have listened to. I am very curious, why are you listening to this show? And in order for me to make it even better, I would love to hear, are there particular discussions, guests that you would like me to invite or talk about in the future? If you could send me a short email to Karen Tischler at emilyspath.ca or contact me via LinkedIn, I would really appreciate that. And also, if you would like to get engaged in talking about the topics that I speak here with my guests, join us weekly Fridays at 9 a.m. Pacific or noon Eastern time when I host the Future of Work Walk which is a LinkedIn audio event. I encourage everybody who participates, whether it is listening or talking with me about these topics, asking questions, making suggestions, to join me in walking so we can combine a walk as well as talking about the future of work. I look forward to the next episode and look forward to hearing from you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We hope you gained valuable insights and new ideas. To keep listening to future episodes, please head over to iTunes or your favorite player and subscribe and give it a rating. We would very much appreciate a review and for you to share it on social media so more people can start innovating in how they offer employment. Until the next time, goodbye.